years ago a magazine, I can't remember the which magazine, I think it was Smith Magazine, ran a, a contest asking readers to sum up their whole life in six words. Sum up their life in six words. That was the challenge. Six words to describe where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. That sounded difficult, and I've been kind of playing around with that this week myself. But you know, And it sounds hard, but have you ever seen an old friend you haven't seen in a long time? Uh, every now and then maybe you bump into somebody you haven't seen since elementary school or middle school or high school, and maybe it's been 10 or 20 years, and you say, hey, what have you been doing? Well, um, got married, we have two kids, and, and I live here in Knoxville and work at so-and-so. You just summed up your whole life, you know, 10 years in a sentence. Well, these people were asked to do their whole life, and then thousands of people sent in these submissions. The best were published in a book called Not Quite What I Was Planning. (laughs) I think that's pretty good. Some of the six-word memoirs are sad. Some of them are funny. Some are inspiring. I'm going to just read you a few that I thought were noteworthy or pretty good, okay? Uh, Heather Thomas Thompson uh, Thompson wrote this in flowers. Steve McMullen wrote, married, childhood sweetheart, two kids, content. Bob Lindblom wrote, partner, pension, motorhome, life is good. (laughs) Richard Merrington wrote, wasted my whole life getting comfortable. John Doyle wrote, bored, so bored, so very bored. Ray Kemp wrote, trust me, I did my best. Gillian Smelly wrote, ditched the map, found a better route. And Dave Nicholson wrote, not quite finished, tell you later. (laughs) And as I read these, I wonder how some of these, some of the people in the Bible, how would they have summarized uh, their lives? Noah might have said, built a boat, life goes on. David might have said, killed a giant, saved a kingdom. Or he might have summed up his life like this, the Lord is all I need. Jesus might have said, to seek and save the lost. Or to give abundant life to all. Or maybe just, for God so loved the world. Peter might have said something like this, took chances Failed often, experienced power. <laughs> but what about Paul? That's the guy we've been talking about all through January. I wonder how he would have summarized his life and his ministry. And I'll speculate that uh, in just a couple of minutes after we spend uh, some time in today's text. This is the last chapter uh, of Second Timothy, where we've spent uh, the first part of this year. And today... What I'd like to do is to talk to you about the words that describe your life. Now, we begin with this premise, to finish well, to finish strong. And we're talking about in the context of 2014, but the bigger picture of that is in your life. I said, I'm getting to that phase, that that transition in life where I'm thinking, I have less days to live than I've already lived. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, you do. And I think my goal now, my heart now, my motivation is I want to finish strong. I want to finish, not just 2014, I want to finish strong. 
I don't want to fizzle out. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to be on a shelf. Uh, and, and I know that you may be tempted to be thinking about that six-word thing and, 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 and thinking, well, what are my six words? What would my, my six words be? Please don't, don't do that now, but do it this week. I would really like for you to take that challenge and just kind of figure out where are you in your life right now. Now, don't do it today. Don't do it while I'm talking. Otherwise, your six-word summary would be opportunity to hear great sermon missed. I hope this series has helped inspire you to start off the year uh, with a motivation to finish strong. In week one, we talked about breaking bad, uh, letting go of those mental habits that hold us back. You know, it just sets me free to even say it. While we were singing that last song, I loved, I just love, love, love that song. And I just thought about, you know, how we summed up that message. No more fear, no more shame. No more regrets. No more fear. No more shame. No more regrets. You just say that with me. No more fear. No more shame. No more regrets. I mean, I get free just saying it. Just saying it. In week two, we talked about future Hall of Famer. Holding yourself to a higher standard, expecting more of yourself, Uh, than you would expect from others or maybe even that others already expect from you. Last week, we talked about under the influence. This has nothing to do with Justin Bieber, okay? I know that's important. That's big news. But we're talking about choosing to surround yourself with the right people, immersing yourself in the wisdom of God's Word so that you can make better lifelong decisions. I spent a long time under the wrong influences, you know, and did just ridiculous things. Uh, So have some people in your life. Today, uh, this week, I want to talk about tomorrow's battles today. The idea is this, how you can prepare yourself mentally, uh, spiritually, in, in this moment, today, so that tomorrow's inevitable battles, the things these plot twists that are going to come won't ruin your life uh, and won't change the ending of the story that God has in mind for you. Because I'll tell you, folks, just over the years, I want to say as a pastor, like that gives it validity, but I think you've seen it just as well as I have. We've all seen it in our families, extended families, with friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates. We've seen, we've observed people who've gone the distance and then they get off track. They, some give up early, or they quit, or they get disqualified, and they don't finish strong. This final chapter of Second Timothy, chapter 4, we want to focus on these first eight verses. I think most people do when you read this. I think if you hear a, a typical sermon out of this chapter, it's probably going to be from... Uh, from those few scriptures, preachers, guys like me get up. They're going to they're gonna kind of lock in right there because it's filled with these great phrases and these imperative commands and these warnings. You know, he talks about uh, itching ears. And he t- it culminates with Paul's, this dramatic uh, proclamation th- that he, he makes. Uh, he says this in, in verse 6. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. 
I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will reward to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearing. Wow. Those are just really wonderful words. And it's a great climax to an amazing letter and to uh, an absolutely unique and incredible life. In these remaining verses, Paul wraps up uh, everything, you know, with these, he, he has these final comments, he makes some notes, some personal greetings. He just throws some little things out there. You know how you do, uh, we used to, we, we try to tell, Kathy and I celebrated our first date anniversary last night, and we were talking about what has changed during that time. It's great because now we have heat and air conditioning and we don't ride horses anymore. It's just been amazing, the, the wonderful things that have been invented. Um, but the thing that we, we thought that's probably changed our lifestyle more than anything would be cell phones. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal. Most of you have had one in your hand ever since you were in the crib, you know. And, uh, but that's changed because we would leave, like to go for, from campus to back home for a holiday or something. We'd say, well, call me when you get there. Or when we were apart for a semester, uh, that was as long as she could go without being with me. And, you know, she just rushed right back to school. Uh, while during that time, we would write letters, like on paper with a pen, and we would mail them in the mail. It was, it, I know, I know. It sounds like you're kidding. That's, cra- that's archaic. And it was, it was. It was barbaric. But that's what we did, and that's how we communicated. Uh, and we would write these things. Uh, back and forth, and it's just kind of a sweet time. And that's what Paul's doing, because sometimes at the end of those letters, you forget something. You think, oh, I meant to say yes, postscript. And you'd write that sentence. Oh, tell your mom, I said hi, and thanks for the squash, you know, whatever. Oh, P-S-S, tell your dad when I get there, we'll go fishing and we'll do this. Oh, P-S-S-S, and we would just, you know, you just keep extending the letter. This chapter is a little bit like that. That's kind of what Paul's doing. And I see these three, in these final verses, these three big attitudes. Isn't it funny how pastors always find things in threes? <laughs> I don't know. It's just that I see three things here that really wrap up into one thing, and that's how to, how to finish strong uh, with, with this attitude, how to fight tomorrow's battles today so that when you get to that inevitable battle tomorrow, it's not going to change the end of your story. See, I find if I have to make a decision when I'm in the midst of the moment trying to make a decision, I fail every time. Don't you? Uh, and you're in the midst of this, and that's just not the time. It's make the decision ahead of time. Set the boundaries. Uh, decide what your values are before you're in the, you know, the heat of the moment, and you, you're going to make a bad choice. You're going to have regrets. So today, we can decide what our attitudes are going to be. Now, here's a mindset we're going to develop wrapped around these three things. First of all, be prepared to go it alone. Be prepared to go it alone. Now, you would think that the life of a man as great as the Apostle Paul would end much differently than it did. I mean, think about it. Think of all the churches that he started, all the people that he led to Christ, all the men and women believers you know, that he discipled, all the letters that he had written, all the financial support he had raised for suffering Christians. And you would think 
that now, in this moment, in his greatest hour of need, that he would just be surrounded. There would be a multitude of grateful people willing to stand up in support of Paul, that they would be there for him. If he had been Baptist, we would at least have brought him a casserole. You know, I mean, you would think that there are people that would you know, stand in the gap for Paul. But that's not what happened. Some of the churches had distanced themselves from Paul. He was so controversial. Some preachers spoke out against him. He was a polarizing figure in the early church. At some point, because he was considered to be advocating these ideas that were unlawful for Romans to observe, which meant that he was preaching the lordship of Jesus. When the question would be put to him and then to others who would follow him, Caesar es curios, or Jesus es curios, Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord, and you had to repeat that back. And whatever you said sealed your fate. You went through this door or you went through that door. People weren't comfortable with that. They thought he could be more subtle. Paul, why don't you dial it back a little bit? But he couldn't and he didn't. He was arrested and then put in this prison. This happened at least once, probably twice, maybe even more than that. Because we don't know all the details about Paul's life. But we do know that in about the year 67... He's sitting in prison, waiting to die. And he faced the first part of this confinement alone. Sixteen. Paul said this, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Nobody came. Jesus knew exactly how he felt, because you remember the night that Jesus was arrested Everybody bailed on him too. This first defense was probably something like, uh, I think it was like probable cause hearing, you know, it was this preliminary hearing, uh, and there was no one there for him. Paul, this man, he had given his life to serving others who had said, I can, you know, I do all things for the sake of those who belong to Jesus. I mean, he, he just totally given his life, uh, found himself all alone. You know what? Even that didn't stop him. Because this is the place, this is the moment, this is the point where a lot of us go, I'm alone. Why am I doing this? It didn't stop him. He understood from the very beginning that following Jesus sometimes means going it alone. He was ready to pay that price. There's a song we used to sing more often, and, and I'd like to sing for you. <laughs> that'd be the that'd be something. Um, it, it goes kind of like this: I have decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me. Still, I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I have a feeling that some of you are in that moment today. We certainly all will be. We all have been. Because that's just how it is sometimes in the Christian life. There will be times 
when you run the race alone. When you look around and you think, there's nobody else out here but me. None will go with you. When I was in college, I got involved in a jail ministry in Jackson, Tennessee. There was a workhouse program. It's kind of the guys are in between. And we had uh, just gotten involved with this. And a lot of my old friends and relatives were there. It was just like a homecoming every week when I'd go over. Uh, but, and I would go to, to visit these guys. And one night we planned this worship service. And so I showed up at this church that was kind of helping us put this together. And I waited for the other team members to come. I could play two songs on guitar, and I played those very badly. Uh, I couldn't sing. I, I, just, I couldn't do a lot of other things. I couldn't even speak. But all I had was a testimony that the guy who put this together felt like my testimony was headed toward where their life is so that they could relate. <laughs> That's, I was the token like sinner on the team, you know, so they would ask me to come along and share. Well, nobody showed up that night. I waited, and I waited as long as I could, and I knew the trustee was waiting for the team to come. So I got there. And I don't know if you've ever been to prison. How many of you have been? No, you don't have. Okay. Um, but that's, that's okay. Uh, and you're welcome. Uh, I, I went through the first part. If you've ever been, you know, you go through this and you hear that clank behind you. And you go through the next thing and it clanks behind you. You think, I'm getting deeper in here, and they're locking those doors behind me. You go through several of those, and you go through the security things, and I'm in this place, none of the team's there. So I'm in a room with all these guys, and I'm by myself. And what they want are cigarettes at that time and blue jeans and tennis shoes. Do you have these things? I go, no, I don't have those things. I brought New Testaments. And then he was like, oh, really? You know, that's seriously. Nobody came. So I did the service by myself. It was the Dan show. You know, I mean, I was just doing, I did music, believe it or not. We sang a couple of songs. You would have thought this was hilarious because uh, I even did. I had been to a class, you know, I knew how to do one, two, three, four, one, two. I knew that if it wasn't two, 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 four, two, three, I, I, then we, we're not, no, we're not going to sing that one. <laughs> I don't know. I just, just, just make it look, you know. We, we stumbled through that. We prayed. I took prayer requests. I shared my testimony. And that was the only thing I'd been prepared to do. And then, you know, I preached a little 10-minute sermon because it was everything I knew about Jesus in 10 minutes. That was, don't you wish those days were, you know, here again. Um, that was it. But I tell you what, I never felt more scared. And I never felt more alone than in that moment. Little did I know that was the beginning of a lot of moments to come where I would feel all alone. There's times you will feel alone. I did a youth camp once, and I was in a place, in a situation, totally out of my environment, and I got there, and it was too late to do anything else but be there. And this has happened more than once, where I find out they don't believe anything I believe. And they're teaching a different gospel, and I think, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And I remember speaking one night, and seven kids got saved. Seven students came to Christ. But afterwards, I had a team of leadership waiting in a room to talk to me. Now, you're not going to do this all weekend, right? You're not going to do that all weekend. I said, but you just had seven. Oh, we, yeah, and we're going to have to counsel with them and talk with them and figure out what it is they've bought into here. And, it's, and I thought, oh, my goodness, you don't want, no, we don't want this. I felt so alone, so alone. You're going to have moments uh, that are going to be like that. When you're nervous and you feel all by yourself, 
Not just in ministry, but in life. And if you want to win tomorrow's battles today, if you want to finish strong, you need to get used to that idea. Be prepared to go it alone. Now, I want to tell you this because I think some of you feel like that right now. So on one hand, I want to say, I, I know, I know your heart hurts and you feel like you're all alone in the world. You may not be as alone as you think. So don't despair. Don't lose heart. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. And, and that's, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is the one promise he makes over and again. He said, of everything I could tell you, of everything I could affirm and uh, reassure you with, it's this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I can say this with confidence, and I can say this with authority. A lot of things I, I maybe can't, but this is one thing I know. He's never left me alone. And I've walked hard ground, I've gone uphill, and I've been in dark places just like you. And the one constant, the one thing I could always count on is that He's never forsaken me. He's never left me. And as alone as you might not alone, not totally. Sometimes everyone around you may give up and they may go home. You keep running the race. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't get disqualified. Second thing I see uh, in order to win tomorrow's battles today is let go of your hurts. In this text, Paul uses this powerful phrase. I'm going to encourage you to pick up in your life. If you want to make it a habit to use this phrase, I guarantee, as my daddy used to say, that you will live strong and you'll finish strong. What's the phrase? Well, look at verse 16. We just read uh, the first part of that. The second part says, he says this at the first part. He says, at my defense, no one came to my support. Everybody deserted me. But then in that second part, he said, may it not be charged against them. Your version may say, Lord, may, may it not be held against them. Don't hold this against them. Do you know why a lot of people give up on the Christian experience, on their faith, on Jesus? Do you know why most people, I think, who give up on the idea of living a life devoted to others and just begin to live for themselves, they give up because of something someone else did. They got hurt. They got mistreated. They got ignored. They got their feelings hurt. And it was enough for them to decide, you know what, it's not worth it. I don't need this. I visited a man in the hospital, and, and uh, he said, well, I don't go to church much. I said, are you a Christian? He goes, yeah, but not a very good one. You know, I'm not doing a blah, blah. And I said, well, tell me about that. And years ago, 30 years ago, he got his feelings hurt at a church meeting. He left out and said, I'm never going back again. He got mad at people, so he left. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you want to do that. You know how that, I mean, we, we've all kind of been there. We've all been abused in some way, either accidentally or on purpose. And sometimes people will spend the rest of their life 
just nursing a grudge and placing the blame and reliving that hurt and letting that become the story that defines them. See, I walk in, all this guy knows is I'm a pastor. Here's this whole Christian experience of his. The party focuses on, the party goes to. What he tells me is his hurt experience. And as he tells it, you can just feel that wound opening back up again. Never healed. Let it go. From the very beginning, Paul decided to forgive the people who spoke against him and those who betrayed him and those who abandoned him. That's not an easy thing sometimes. His ability to say this, may it not be held against them. That was huge. I think it's that, though, that, that's what kept Paul focused on the future instead of the past. Don't let your past be what defines you. Don't let that story, that part of your history, be what you're all about. Recently, I was talking to an acquaintance about Christianity, and he's interested in spiritual things, but he's not ready to make that commitment to, to Christ, which I, I appreciate his, his honesty. But he made an interesting comment. He said, you know, Dan, I can always tell the difference between real Christians and phonies. I can tell the difference. I said, I can't always. I said, sometimes I get them mixed up. They look alike and act alike. He said, you know what it is? I said, what is it? Forgiveness. He said, only a real Christian can do that. He said, the hypocrites talk about it and sing about it, but they will hold a grudge and seek revenge. He said, the thing I've noticed is that real Christians forgive. Now, that's an interesting perspective coming from someone on the outside looking in. This is an example. We see it in, in Jesus when he suffered the greatest injustice, the biggest humility, humiliation imaginable. This innocent man who is betrayed, beaten, stripped, nailed to a cross. And how did he respond? Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't, they, have, they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. Just forgive them. Later in the book of Acts, when Stephen was attacked and murdered by stoning to death, I mean, this was horrible. This angry mob, and all he was doing was preaching the gospel. Check out his last words. At the very end of his, his life, he said, uh, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. If you want to win tomorrow's battles today, decide today that you're going to let go of whatever grudge it is that you've been nursing and holding. And just stop pretending and just stop, you know, uh, well, I've forgiven them. I, I heard a relative say this recently. I've forgiven them, but I, I'm never going to forget that. And I thought, well, then you really probably haven't forgotten them, forgiven them. You know, what if, what if God had that attitude toward me? You see, it's easier maybe for me to forgive because I have already been forgiven of so much. You know, I've, thought, I've done everything. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a little. But to say, you know, if, if God were to say, Dan, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not forgetting this. I'm never going to forget that. How does that feel? 
you want to win today, decide you're going to forgive those who hurt you. Sometimes I've caught myself, haven't you? I've caught myself getting mad all over again at something that happened years ago or even decades ago. I have to let the Holy Spirit remind me again and again and again, son, let it go. Let it go. Don't hold this against them. Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive whatever grievances you may have with one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In this passage, Paul uses another phrase that helps us to deal with hurts. He said this. I mean, Paul's a regular guy. I mean, we read. I mean, he's like one of our heroes. He's famous, you know. But, but he was a regular guy. And in verse 14, he, 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 goes, he says, uh, this is like one of those PS notes. He said, Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And he goes on and he kind of warns them about him. And he says, beware of him, him yourself because he strongly opposed my message. He said, he did me great harm. I tried to figure this out. What could it have been that Alexander did? Most, most people think that he probably had slanderous statements against Paul. He spread rumors. He talked about him behind his back. He did those things. I think Alexander could be the one who turned Paul in. You know, somebody had to rat him out. Somebody had to say, hey, you know the, the guy, you know the guy who's causing all the trouble? I know where he is. I can lead you to him. Uh, maybe that he was the guy who did that. Who knows? But we do know what Paul's response was. The Lord will take care of that. This was, I think, Paul's way of letting go. Rather than relive that hurt over and over again, uh, rather than fantasize about revenge, rather than call Barnabas or Mark and saying, hey, look, um, you take care of Al <laughs> for me. You know, it, it, he didn't call anybody. He didn't do that. He just, he said, you know what? I'm just going to put this in God's hands. God, you deal with this in the, the way that's best for all involved. You know, I've done uh, worse. So when you put those two phrases together, the Lord will pay him for what he's done and may it not be held against them, you're letting go of that offense. You're letting go. You're forgiving as God has called us to forgive. And you're trusting him. God, I'm going to trust you to bring about the reconciliation, to trust you to take care of that. There's another example of Paul letting go of his hurts. I want you to notice that when he asked Timothy to come visit him in Rome, uh, look at this in verse 11. Uh, he, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he's useful. He's very useful for me in ministry, in my ministry. Now, what had happened, a little background to that, is that a few years before, Paul wouldn't have said that because Mark, or John Mark, as he was also called, quit in the middle of a missionary journey where he and Paul and Barnabas were out on this mission trip together. And, and Mark just up and resigns. He's like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going home. And he walks away. He just walks away in the middle of it. It made Paul furious. Paul was just, he was just so mad about that. Later, when they're preparing another missionary trip, they're going on another journey, Barnabas 
wanted to bring Mark along. He goes, hey, I'm going to get Mark. I'm going to grab Mark and bring him with me. Paul said, no way. In fact, he went so far. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, if you invite Mark, I'm not coming. I mean, doesn't that just sound so petty? Doesn't that sound like so childish? Well, if Mark's coming, I'm not going to go. You know, and I don't even know what to wear. I'm not, we're just not going to do it. You know? And the two men argued about it, and the disagreement became so sharp that they parted company, and they went their separate ways. You can read about it this afternoon or tonight uh, in Acts chapter 15. But it wasn't long before Paul came around, and he began to work with Mark again. Maybe it was because Mark proved himself to be useful. But more than likely, it was because Paul was learning to be merciful. In verse 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you. He's helpful to me in my ministry. It's just not worth it to hold on to your old hurts. And if today you would just release that, the resentment, the bitterness, the anger, the hurt, someone's disappointed you, I know. I've been disappointed, believe me. I've been offended, I've been hurt. Whether it's big, whether it's small, just let it go. Ask God, Lord, just show them mercy, and I'm going to trust you to deal with them fairly, taking myself out of the picture. If you do that, um, some amazing things are going to be unlocked and released in your life. King Solomon said that it's to a person's glory to forgive an offense. Just let go of your hurts. Now, there's one more thing uh, so that you don't collapse before you get to the finish line, okay? Otherwise, these things are going to just they're gonna weigh you down. One other thing um, in solving tomorrow's problems today is keep making plans. Keep making plans. I love what Paul did here. In verse 6 to 8, he says... Um, as for me, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I mean, you can hear the music swelling up in the background. I have fought the good fight. I've come to the end of the line, boys. It's all over. It's done. And I know there's a crown of righteousness waiting. This is it. Fare thee well. So long. Adios. He's, he's, bidding, he's saying goodbye. But not quite yet. And he goes, but I'm not ready to go. However, after that, he says, I've finished and, and all these things. Do your best to come see me soon. Uh, and then he talks about these people. And he says, um, I need you to be here. I sent Christians to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Um, uh, and, and I sent Tychicus to Ephesus and to take your place while you're gone. So hurry up and get here and bring Mark with you because I've got plans for him too. And while you're at it, bring my coat because I'm going to need that this winter. And bring my books. Oh, and the papers. I mean, this is a guy who's about to, to, he's facing the death sentence. He goes, oh, you know what? It's going to get cold. I might need a coat uh, and I need those books. I need those. And here's, uh, to send this guy this way and this one. I mean, he's still so involved. I mean, that doesn't sound like a man on his way out. It doesn't sound like a guy who's ready to give up the ghost. In these verses, Paul sounds like a man with a plan. In these verses, you know, in, in this case, God chooses to delay his imminent departure just a little while. So Paul's already working on plan B. You know, he says, hey, hey I don't know when this is going to be. It could be today, next week, a month. In case it's uh, several months from now, here's what we're going to do. And he just keeps, he keeps going. 
When he says in verse 13, he says, When you come, bring the cloak, bring that coat that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. There's been a lot of speculation on what are those scrolls and parchments? What's he talking about there? That's a pretty good possibility. I think the scrolls referred to Old Testament scriptures. Paul said, you know, I've, I've, I, need, I need my books. I need my, my Bible. And it's possible that the parchments referred to these early Christian writings that were beginning to circulate. Or it could be, and this is what I like to think, and this is a little preachery here. I like to think it was blank, clean, empty parchments. Just, you know, I think, I think he was saying, oh, and I need some new journals. I need some new notebooks. I need some paper. Bring me my laptop because I'm still working. I got stuff to do. I got things to write. I'm not done. I'm not done yet. He's still going. He kept making plans. I have a friend who um, is the head of a ministry that I'm involved in, we're involved in as a fellowship. It's Grace Fellowship International just down the road in Pigeon Forge. It's a counseling ministry. We do conferences and all kinds of things. Several of you have been and participated or... Uh, and you just know that the founder, uh, Chuck Solomon, Dr. Charles Solomon, is a good good friend and has become a mentor for me. He's going to turn 84 years old. And we were having lunch one day uh, at the old mill in Pigeon Forge, and, and he's giving me all these instructions, and he's saying, and you need to make sure this. And I said, why are you telling me this? He leans over the table, and he goes, Dan, you may not have noticed this, <laughs> He said, but I'm 84 years old. I'm not going to be here forever. You guys got to pick this up. So I'm making plans. We got to keep this going. We got to Here's how we need. He said, I should have retired 20 years ago. I got to let go of this. I just love, in that moment, it made me happy, sad, you know, because just the example of keep going. If you're still here, God's still got something. I mean, you're, he's still working in you. He was saying this in verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the, the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but to you too. We all get what Paul got. This is what I think I want to be able to say. This is what I want you to be able to say that I lived well, that I did what he set me out to do. When I was standing in that, that little jail, you know, all those years ago, first time I went, I wore a suit, and all the guys were trying to get me to come over to them, and I thought, what? And I, I go over to the guy, and he starts telling me his story and what he did, and he shows me a newspaper clipping, and I'm going, okay, okay, uh, do you want to hear about the Lord? You know, and he goes, oh, I thought you were an, an attorney. <laughs> and I said, no. He goes, are you a preacher? And I go, yeah. He goes, oh. And he goes back over and sits down. And I, he doesn't want to talk to me. He thought I was there to help him with legal counsel. And I don't know. And I, I, got a, and I think from that day till now, you know, I started off then. And one day I'm going to finish. I want to finish strong. I don't want to just start off good. And then you know, whatever happened to that guy at Calvary? Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, he burned out. He had a moral failure. Oh, he gave up. He got tired. He got, he, he just quit. I don't want to hear that about you either. So at the beginning of the message today, I mentioned these six-word, you know, little, uh, little phrases, epitaphs, if you will. Uh, how might Paul have summed up his life? And I said, I'd tell you. I think maybe it would be something like this. Hard fight, 
long race. Finished strong. I want you to finish this year strong. I want you to finish your life strong. As for you and me, it's, it's way too soon to write our biographies. Don't you love how celebrities write the story of their life when they're 40? <laughs> I think, don't you got 40 more to go? Why would you do that? We're still living it today. There's still time on the clock. The summary, uh, summary of, of your life doesn't read like you want it to. There's still time to change the plot. The next chapter can be different. God wants to change the outcome. There's still time for the ending of the story to be something beautiful and powerful. Still time for you to finish strong. Maybe today you need to commit to those attitudes that Paul had. Maybe you just need to commit to the big idea. God, I want to finish strong. Let's pray. Would you stand? We're going to sing. Father... Lord, you've given us the grace to... Some of us didn't start well. Some of us had bumpy beginnings and um, we would stumble and fall and get up and stumble and fall and finally we got a little momentum with you and we began to go forward. Lord, I don't think the beginning is nearly as as the end. Would you give us the grace, all of us, to finish well, to finish strong for your glory. Thank you.